The second Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 22, and can be found on page 779 in the Church Bible. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels from Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's folks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaoth will serve you. They will be accepted as offering offerings on your altar, and I will adorn your glorious temple. You are these that fly, who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Foreigners will rebuild your walls, and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut, day or night, so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession, for the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the pine, the fir, and the cypress together, to adorn the place of my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place of my feet. The sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Although you have been forsaken and hated, with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stones. I will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor the, right, nor the righteousness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord 
sorry, the brightness of the moon shine by you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again. Your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then will all your people be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, and the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. It is in its time I will do that swiftly. Thank you. Amen. Now, for those of you who are new to our church community and our church family, uh, what we believe as Christians is that the Word of God is the Word of God, and it continues to speak to us, though they are ancient words. It's God's way of telling us of the reality of things from His perspective, the reality of the future from God's perspective. And so each week what we do is we hear, hear the Bible read, also hear it explained, which is what I'll be doing now. Now, for those of you who are new to our community, on the inside of the newsletter, you'll see an outline. That's just an outline of the sermon, of the talk. That might help you along. And also, do keep your Bibles open. If you don't have one, there's one, hopefully, in the pew in front of you. Um, if you keep it to Isaiah 60, uh, that will help you follow along. Now, let me pray once again, and we'll have a look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you continue to teach us, you speak to us, you reveal to us the world as it is from your perspective and also eternity from your perspective. So help us to see it, understand it, and believe it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, where is home? Where is home for you? Well, for many of us, we call Melbourne home, don't we? And you can understand why. In the global livability ranking, Melbourne was, not anymore, but was the most livable city in the world for seven years straight. That's amazing. This is our city, most livable. Was, not anymore. We lost out last year to Vienna, which is a little bit of a shame. But losing out to Vienna is not too bad as long as we beat Sydney. That's what's important. But you see, as livable Melbourne is, it, it, it doesn't really mean that it's home, does it? Well, what does it mean to be at home, to feel at home? Well, home is meant to be the place where we feel security and refuge and safety and joy and laughter and comfort and peace, the place where we belong the place where we can rest. That's what home is meant to feel like. And as good as Melbourne is, it is still a city that is marred by all sorts of suffering and pain and crime. Most livable, used to be, but yet still marred by so much pain and suffering. Yesterday I had a few hours off with my kids. I've got three kids, 8, 10 and 12. And I took them on an excursion. We went to an interesting place. Where do we go? We went to the police station at Box Hill on a little family excursion. Now, sweaty palms, a bit scared. Are we going to just let them off to the police station and pass them over? But no, it wasn't because our kids were not behaving, but really because I wanted to chat to the police officer there and just to get a view of 
how crime is around here in Surrey Hills, in Box Hill. Is it bad around here? What's the state of crime? And so I asked the police officer and he said, well, things are actually pretty good in our area. It's not too bad. But yet, he said, you still have every single crime. You still have violence and abuse and drugs and theft, though good, but still bad. You still have it all. And so I asked him a, a few more questions. I asked him, what about you know, letting my kids walk home from school by themselves during the day? Is it okay during the day? Oh, well, he said, well, times have changed. Just be vigilant. You see, is this what home is meant to feel like? Melbourne is our home, but is it what it's meant to feel like? And when you hear the stuff that happens, even in our city, it often feels far from home. But that's Melbourne. What about your own homes, your own houses? You see, you can have a house, but not really a home. You can have a house, but not really a home. When I walk to church from my home, I pass 68 houses. And as I pass, I've often wondered, what's happening on the inside? There are houses, but is there a home on the inside? Is there security and refuge inside, or is there fear as I walk past? Is there peace and comfort inside, or is there chaos? Is there trust and love inside, or is there violence and abuse? Is there joy and laughter inside? Or is it a household filled with pain and suffering and tears? And so let me ask you again. Where is home, really? Where is home for you? Surrey Hills? Your suburb? Melbourne? Do you have a home? Now I suspect that deep down for all of us, we long restlessly. It's like we're homesick for a place where we truly belong, for a place where we are lovingly accepted, for a place where we are wonderfully protected, abundantly blessed, joyfully flourishing, and peacefully delighting in the glory of God. And so let me ask you, where is home? Well, what we come to read and learn of today in this passage of Isaiah is the home of homes, the home of homes. This is the place you want to make your home. And even if I dare say, this place that is described in Isaiah 60 is better than Melbourne, even better than your own homes. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's have a look. This place is called the city of God. And what does that mean? Well, Isaiah the prophet... He lived about 2,700 years ago. And when we read this on first reading, it sounds like he's describing the city of Jerusalem. And on one level, there's a sense in which that is true. Remember the people of God, they've been exiled to the land of Babylon. They've been taken out of their homeland, plugged into another place. And so they're just longing and yearning to return home. They're in exile, so on one level it seems like this is speaking about the geographical Jerusalem. But then on another level, it seems like the picture of the city in this chapter, it just gets bigger and bigger as we read along. And it gets better and better as we read along until it's perfect. And so it can't really be the Jerusalem in Israel today. 
And so when we read this, you, you'll feel this tension. You, you're meant to feel the tension. Is it now or is it not yet? Is it the geographical Jerusalem or is it describing something else? But what it is describing is the city of God, the home of homes. You can see why it is the city of God. We see here, it is where God's glory shines. What does that mean? Well, the word glory means heaviness, weightiness. And so the glory of God means the weightiness of God is somehow present, somehow transcendent and transforms the city such that it is like the light that penetrates the darkness, the gloom, the sorrow, the, the oppression of the world. And not only merely speaking about physics of light and darkness, but speaking something of God's transcendence, his goodness, his purity, his justice that just transforms the city and all its people. Now just think about you know, the good movies that always ends in the good ending. Good defeating evil, completely and absolutely, all evil destroyed. It's that picture we're meant to get. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Read it with me. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Now you can understand why if the people of God, if they were in exile at this point, they'll be longing, yearning to return to this place. Though small, this city, this state, a vassal state really, God will transform it and it will become the centre of world attention. So much so that this city will mediate the light of God and draw the nations in. Look at verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And wasn't that what happened with Christianity early on in the first century? The first Christians, they were Jewish. They were disciples of Jesus. But quite extraordinarily and explosively in the first century, they drew the Gentile nations in. They were brought in as they saw their life as they proclaimed Christ and mediated the light of God, such that by the 4th century, you have the first Christian Roman emperor, Constantine. He bowed his knee to God. And so here we see, the city of God is where God's glory shines. But it's also where God's people gather. They are all drawn back in. All the scattered people of God, all drawn back in because it is home and for the jewish people jerusalem does represent to them that place it's why so many wars have been fought over that city and the perspective we read in the next few verses it is the perspective of the city seeing the people brought back in the sons and daughters all brought back in physically and spiritually and they bring back an abundance of wealth look at verse 4 Lift up your eyes and look around you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm, and they bring the riches of the nations. You see, it's the ingathering of the, of the people of God, and they're coming from all over the place. This is like a wide, whole world, a worldwide homecoming. And we see in verse 9, Surely the islands look to me. 
In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar, with their silver and gold, to honor, to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. See, the city of God filled with splendor, and all the people of God. It's why today, even today, for the Jewish people, they read this and they think Jerusalem. It keeps them longing and yearning to return to Jerusalem. Do, do you know that in Israel they have a law called the law of return? It's interesting. It, it, it's really how they understand a passage like this. And really that law is to allow all Jews anywhere in the world to return to Jerusalem and to get citizenship as an Israeli. It's the law of return. And so in 1977, it was applied to a group, a few hundred thousand Ethiopian Jews. They're known also as the Beta Israel. They've lived over a thousand years without any connection to the other Jewish people. And so these Jews, they were allowed to return home. They were yearning to return to the promised land, and they were allowed. And so in the 70s and 80s, there have been movies made about this. There was a, a terrible civil war in Ethiopia. The Jews, were, they were being persecuted, and so the Israeli government, they sanctioned a covert military operation to evacuate all the Jews, to bring them home. You see, it's still the longing and yearning of many Jewish people. But of course, the hope here is not just physical, it's also spiritual. And that's why the Jewish people, the world over, each year they have the important festival, the Passover festival. And at the end of the festival, they say a short prayer, and that is, next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. You see, they're expressing their yearning to return home to their promised land. They're hoping that the city of God will finally come true which perhaps explains how some countries have set up their foreign policies when they think about Jerusalem that way. But what we're getting here is the city of God. It is a grand picture where all of God's people will be gathered one day. But it's also a city where God's enemy completely surrender. All of God's enemies. There will no longer be any opposition to God, which means... You won't get anyone saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe God exists. That will not be at all. All will bend their knee to God. Look at verse 10. Foreigners will rebuild your wars, and their kings will serve you. And because all enemies of God will be dealt with, subdued, or even destroyed, it means that this city will be completely safe. There's no one to fight against God, no one to rebel. And so it means no need to close the city gates anymore. Do you see verse 11? Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night. The reason why you shut the day is because you want to protect the city from enemies. I mean, it's what I do at night time in my own household. It's my job. Before bedtime, I go around, just check the doors, make sure that it's all locked, check on the kids, and it's all safe, and then I'm allowed in bed. But this city, the gates, will never be shut. It will always remain open. Why? Look at verse 11. So that men may bring you the wealth of the nations, their kings, let a triumphal procession. For the nation or the kingdom that will not serve you will perish. 
it will be utterly ruined. Makes you think, doesn't it, when you read that? There is no future in the city of God for anyone who does not acknowledge the lordship of God. In his city, all must bend their knee to him, which means all the mighty rulers, presidents, kings and queens and emperors will one day bend their knee to God, willingly or not, it will be bent. Look at verse 14. The sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. I mean, this is true for many rulers. Many rulers, many kings, queens, themselves, Lord of all, but yet they will bow and bend their knee to God. Queen Victoria is an example. When she reigned, she ruled over a third of the world. Her empire was huge, was vast. She was extremely powerful, reigned for a long time, 63 years. But as powerful as she was, she knew herself who the true monarch was, who the true king is. She knew about the city of God. And so during her life, she said she could not wait for Jesus to return. Why would she say that? Well, her answer was, so that I can cast my crown before him. The queen recognizing the true king. And so in the city of God is where all of God's enemies surrender. It is also where God's blessings flow, we read on. And you can't help but sense how spectacular this city will be. Nothing is withheld from God himself. Despair turned into eternal joy, we read. Look at verse 15. Although you have been forsaken and hated, and no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. And also in this city, there will be intimate, personal relationship with God himself. God not far and distant and someone I don't really know, but I will know my God. Look at verse 16. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And then we read this prosperity beyond measure. Verse 17. Instead of bronze, I'll bring you gold and silver in place of iron. There's no shortages of all the precious stones and metals. It's trying to get us to imagine here the city of God beyond imagining, beyond imagining prosperity, beyond belief. No expenses spared. Now it's starting to sound like that this is not talking about the Jerusalem in Israel anymore. You see how the picture's getting bigger and better? And if you're thinking that, you are right. You see, this is lifting our eyes to see the city of God the home is to come. And when we turn to the pages of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, what is it that we find? Well, the Apostle John, he describes heaven just like that. Spectacular, extravagant, amazing beyond belief. He, he describes it this way. The war was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. 
The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I mean, just try to imagine that. Try to picture a city like that. Golden roads, not bitumen. Pearl gates. But what God is trying to say here is that our true home is yet to come. It is not Melbourne, not Surrey Hills, not where your suburb is. Our true home is yet to come, and it will be where God's blessings will flow. And now the excitement and the glory of this city gets even better. It will be where God's peace will prevail forever. Now this has to be speaking more than the geographical Jerusalem. There is no way you're going to find peace in Jerusalem today. Even in the most livable city, you're not going to find perfect peace. You see, Jerusalem, it's a city that has been fought over 16 times. In its long history, it has been destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, and captured and recaptured 44 times. You're not going to get peace in Jerusalem, now or forever. But this city of God that is to come, it is nothing less than the new creation, something new that God is bringing about. And so we read verses 17 to 18. Look at what this city will be like. I will make peace for your governor and righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in the land. I mean, just reflect on those few words. No longer will violence be heard in the land. No violence at all. Now, I don't know about you and how you feel about the abortion debate that has been happening this past week and continuing this following week in New South Wales. I'm pretty sad by what has happened. I mean, in Victoria, we've already, already lost that, that um, battle. But it's sad, isn't it? People talk about choice and rights. But what is it really? It's violence against life. But in the city of God, it will be no more. And then we read on, verse 18. Nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your wars salvation and your gates praise. There is safety, there is protection, there is salvation. Now we might really love our homes here, wherever it is. But if you can imagine this, this is far better. The city of God is far better. It is where the perfect peace of God will prevail forever. But now, above all that we enjoy and can enjoy in the city of God, above all that we can get, the thing to eclipse it all, to eclipse all the precious gold and pearls and minerals, to eclipse all of that, is God himself. It is where God dwells. So much so that we don't need the sun or moon to give light, for God will be the light. Do you see that? Verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. 
Now we've gone way beyond the geographical Jerusalem. This is the new Jerusalem that is to come, the home of homes. This is to dwell in the presence of God. Can you imagine that? Being in the presence of God unhindered, unrestricted, unshielded to see him face to face. And it will be light all the time. No darkness. Now, some of us might be a bit depressed by that. It means no more sleeping in this city. But really, it's another way of saying that there will be no darkness, which means no wickedness, no evil, no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no destruction of any kind. All of that will become a thing of the past. Isn't that home? Isn't that home? And so verse 20 we read, Your sun will never set it again, and your moon will, will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. And again, isn't that the picture that the Apostle John gives us in the last book of the Bible in Revelation? Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, isn't that the home we all long for and yearn for? Perfect as home is meant to be. It's what we want. I mean, how much of your current pains and sorrows and heartaches that you would rather never feeling again? If that is you, then you are yearning for home, for the city of God. And it is all for the people of God. All are invited all who submit to God, bow their knee to God, trust in God's own Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, who came. You see, the story of Jesus, the story of the Gospel, is really to bring this to fruition. Jesus came as a man, and in a sense, what did he come to do? He came and he declared, I am the light of the world. He came really to bring his people home. It's quite a simple message. Jesus came to bring his people home. So in verse 21 we read, verse 21, Then will all your people be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. You see, heaven, the city of God, is so much more, so much more than we can ever, ever imagine or dream of because it is to be home with God in all his glorious, boundless splendor. It is God who makes heaven, heaven, and it is God who makes it home. Now, as a minister, I do my... I've done my fair share of funerals. And depending on the type of funeral, the one who's passed away, there's always grief, always grief 
for those who remain. But for those who die in faith, who die trusting in Jesus, there's always hope as well. And the hope for those who remain is that one day I will see my mum again. One day I'll see my dad again. One day I'll see my grandmother. One day I'll see my husband. One day I'll see my wife again. And that is true. There will be a reunion one day. Those who trust in Jesus, there will be a reunion in the city of God. You see, all the people of God gather together in this city. It's what I tell my children as well. I tell them, you, you, I want you to be trusting in Jesus always because I want to see you again. And that hope is for believers. It is real. It is good. And I notice that this is often what we dwell upon. Yesterday, we went on one excursion to the police station, but I took my kids on another excursion, and it's to this place. Do you recognize that place? No one? It's the Burwood Cemetery. Now, you're thinking, what type of father am I? But it was good, very educational. Well, what I noticed yesterday, walking through the aisles and looking at the stones, the gravestones, how common that theme of being reunited is. Inscribed on the stone hedges, reunited with his wife, reunited with his sister, reunited with her husband, reunited. You see it almost on every single stone. It's good, isn't it, that that is the hope for those who trust, for those who believe. We found even a Presbyterian section. Here we go, at this cemetery. But as good as that is, to think about the city of God as being a reunion, it is only secondary to one that is far more important. What is of primary importance, of primary joy, in the city of God. Well, I found a gravestone that expressed it well. It was this one. You might not be able to see it, but I'll read it to you. Of primary importance is this. Departed to be with Christ, a sweet saint gone home. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that powerful? And isn't that what this passage is about? Not merely a reunion with our loved ones, but to be with Christ and to be home with God. To be in the glorious, unfiltered splendor of our Lord. To be in the wonderful, comforting arms of our Saviour. Reunion for sure, but finally home with God. And so where is home for you? Is the city of God your eternal home? You see, it will be your eternal home only if God is your God, your King and your Lord. And if that is true for you, it in fact shapes and changes and refocuses our life now because we know where home is. It changes everything about our life now. It means that we are me pilgrims, pilgrims on a progress, sojourners in this world. It shapes what we live for, who we live for. It shapes how we live. It reminds us that this life is temporary. 
In fact, God says it's short and fleeting, but a breath and it'll be gone tomorrow. And if Jesus is our king, then we remember our home here, our house is not our eternal home. It's not permanent. There is far better to come. Our Queen Elizabeth II, just like her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, she recognises this. She too recognises who the true king is. She too knows where her true home is. It's not Buckingham Palace. You see, our queen is a committed Christian, a devout Christian. Years ago, in fact, one of my friends when I was in university, about 19 years ago now, in the year 2000, I had a friend from the Melbourne Uni Christian Union Group and she had the chance to meet Queen Elizabeth. It was in March. Her name's Clara and her friend Mark. They went to meet the Queen at the Immigration Museum when the Queen visited there. And so they all lined up, ready to meet the Queen and Prince Philip. And when the Queen and Prince Philip walked by, the Queen approached my friend Clara and stopped and asked, Where are you from? Now, had he answered that, the Queen's speaking to you. She said this, My parents are from Taiwan, but I am a citizen of heaven. Isn't that powerful? True story. Clara, I confirmed it just yesterday, the day before yesterday. Is this true? She said it was. Now, she was standing next to her friend, her friend Mark, and the, the queen, she was about to move on, but she stepped back and she asked, Mark, so where are you from? And this was what Mark said. My mum is from France. But your majesty, can I ask you a question? I mean, how daring is that? Only an Aussie can do that. <laughs> she asked, can I ask you to pray for more Australians to turn to Jesus? Isn't that wonderful? Why would anyone be so daring to ask the Queen such a question to pray? Isn't it because my friend and her friend Mark, isn't it because they believe that the city of God is real, that their citizenship is indeed in heaven, and they want more to get there? They want more to go home. And how did the Queen respond? She said, that's nice. It is indeed nice because it is home. And so let me ask you again, where is home for you? God ends this passage and says there is a home and he'll bring it about. A place of security, of refuge, of joy and comfort and peace and laughter, everlasting, and God himself. And we read in our final verse, I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. God will do it. Let's pray.